0: Good evening, and this is the Wine of Life podcast with Wes. Today, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of recapitulation from Irenaeus of Lyon. And um, I'll start off with a little bit about Irenaeus. He was a uh, bishop in the place called Lugdunum, which is uh, in Gaul, which is now modern-day Lyon, which is in France. He uh, is from Smyrna in Turkey. Uh, he lived from 130 to 202 A.D., which means he was very, very close to um, the apostles. He was only about 100 years out from when, uh, roughly, from when the the cross and the resurrection would have happened. Um, It says that he also heard from the preaching of Polycarp, who also, he was a person who had heard the apostle John. So he was very, very close to the original church, And uh, his doctrine of recapitulation was something he was writing against heresies, Gnostic heresies of the time. And so his doctrine of recapitulation was to sort of um, discuss this idea of everything being in Christ and uniting both the Old and the New Testament and all the scriptures into one. And so I'm going to read real fast from the scriptures as to where he got that from. Uh, In Ephesians 1, uh, 10 and 11... Let's see if I can get there. This is what it says. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. So it was the counsel of God's will to bring together during a particular dispensation or economy period of time, uh, the fullness of these times, this might gather together, could also be um, said as summed up or as recapitulated, which means taking all of the pieces or the parts and bringing them into one. So everything, both in in heaven and earth, were supposed to be brought into Christ. And so Irenaeus called this the doctrine of recapitulation. And I'm going to read from his work here. Uh, against heresies, which I have here, which I recommend anyone who's interested in um, uh, church history or um, in uh, this doctrine of recapitulation, ideas about the scriptures and so on. Uh, It's very, very useful. But I'm going to read from Book 5, uh, Chapter 21, about what really the work of or the doctrine of recapitulation is all about. It says, He has therefore, in his work of recapitulation, summed up all things, both waging war against our enemy and crushing him who had at the beginning led us away captives in Adam and trampled upon his head, as thou canst perceive in Genesis that God said to the serpent, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. He shall be on the watch for thy head, and thou on the watch for his heel. For from that time, he who should be born of a woman namely from the virgin, after the likeness of Adam was preached as keeping watch for the head of the serpent. This is the seed of which the apostle says in the epistle to Galatians that the law of works was established until the seed should come to whom the promise was made, speaking of Christ in Galatians 3.19. He says this fact is exhibited in a still clear light in the same epistle where he thus speaks, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, which is also in Galatians 4.4. 4. For indeed the enemy would not have been fairly vanquished unless it had been a man born of a woman who had conquered him, for it was by means of a woman that he got the advantage over man at first, setting himself up as man's opponent. And therefore does the Lord profess himself to be the son of man, comprising in himself that original man out of whom the woman was fashioned, in order that, as our species went down to death through a vanquished man, so we may ascend to life again through a victorious one. And as through a man death received the palm of victory against us, so again by a man we may receive the palm against death. Now the Lord would not have recapitulated in himself that ancient and primary enmity against the serpent, fulfilling the promise of the Creator and performing his command if he had come from another father. So the only way that the recapitulation could have occurred is if the son who came that everything was supposed to be summed up in was also someone from the father so he would have also had to have been god but he would have also had to have been man coming from woman uh so everything is supposed to be summed up in him but there there are consequences to this particular uh doctrine and i'm going to read from book four here in book i'm book four chapter 20 um he talks about what this means as a consequence for um what all things being in Christ would be, that we, we ultimately could not receive the promises of God had the summing up of all things in Christ not happened. So truly then, the scripture declares, which says, first of all, believe there is one God who has established all things and completed them, and having caused that from what he had no being, all things should come into existence. So creation ex nihilo, he who contains all things and is himself contained by no one, Rightly also has Malachi said among the prophets, Is it not one God who has established us? Have we not all one Father? In accordance with this too does the Apostle say, There is one God, the Father, who is above all and in us all. Likewise does the Lord say, All things are delivered to be by my Father, manifestly by him who made all things, for he did not deliver to him the things of another, but his own. But in all things it is implied that nothing has been kept back from him, and for this reason the same person is the judge of the living and the dead. Having the key of David, he shall open and no man shall shut. He shall shut and no man shall open. For no one was able, either in heaven or in earth or under the earth, to open the book of the Father or to behold him, with the exception of the Lamb who was slain and who redeemed us with his own blood, receiving power over all things from the same God, who made all things by the word and adorned them by his wisdom. Speaking of the passage in Revelation uh, 5, But when the word was made flesh, that even as the word of God had the sovereignty in the heavens, so also he might have the sovereignty in earth, inasmuch as he was a righteous man who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth, and that he might have the preeminence over those things which are under the earth, he himself being made the first begotten of the dead, and that all things, as I have said already, might behold the king, that the paternal light might meet with us and rest upon the flesh of our Lord, and to come upon us from his resplendent flesh." and that thus man might attain to immortality, having been invested with the paternal light. So, the doctrine of recapitulation then means that Christ had to come in the flesh, and that it, it starts to connect the idea of the incarnation with creation, and starts to see that creation and the incarnation are actually acts that are, they're two acts, but of their, they're of the same order. And so he connects creation and salvation. That sal- He starts to see that salvation is not something that simply was made for the provision of man after the fall, but was something that God always planned to reveal himself, that the beginning of his revelation of himself was in creation, and the final revelation of himself would be in the incarnation. And so I'm going to read from book 3 here, uh, chapter 22. It says, Wherefore, Luke points out, that the pedigree which traces the generation of our Lord back to Adam contains 72 generations, speaking of Luke 3, uh, connecting the end with the beginning and implying that it is he who has summed up in himself all nations dispersed from Adam onwards and all language and generations of men together with Adam himself. Hence also was Adam himself by Paul termed the figure of him who was to come because the word the maker of all things had formed beforehand for himself the future dispensation of the human race connected with the son of god god having predestined that the first man should be of an animal nature with this that he might be saved by the spiritual one for inasmuch as as he had a pre-existence of a saving being it was necessary that what might be saved should also be called into existence in order that the being who saves should not exist in vain so Christ the image of God the logos was always going to be the savior of man in that God already foreknew what was going to happen and that he planned from the beginning that there was going to be an incarnation that would come about through the virgin birth now This leads to a lot of questions, because does that mean that God planned sin? A Calvinist might would say that. Other people would say, no, that means God foreknew those things. But you see how the doctrine of recapitulation is kind of in everything um, that we start to think about, especially in modern times in the Western world. we, We start to think about what all of these things predestination means, because obviously if he did plan sin, which I've already discussed on my Calvinism video that I don't agree that that was what God was doing. God did not invent evil for the sake of salvation, but that he foreknew that. And Irenaeus is not teaching that. He's teaching that God foreknew it and therefore uh, planned from the beginning to reveal himself through the incarnation. But it does speak of the fact that the incarnation was always to come. So he has a massive influence on the theology of the Western world. And this is how he affected the theology of the Eastern world. This is what he says in his preface to his fifth book. Um, he says, Following the only true and steadfast teacher, the word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did through his transcendent love become what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. So the doctrine of theosis or deification or divinization comes, uh, this is really the first guy who really Put together the idea that we are supposed to, that if God partook of the flesh, we are supposed to partake of the divine nature, as it says in 2 Peter 1 4. So he's calling us to be as he is. And it says that there will be a day when we see him and we will be as he is. So the idea of divinization from the Eastern church really starts with Irenaeus. So he's somebody who had a massive, massive influence on the way that uh, all sorts of theologians thought. I mean, he also had the idea because Christ was going to be the incarnation from the beginning of the world. And we'll talk about this because some from the Don Skoda School would agree with that, some from the Thomas School, they had these medieval debates about, um, the Thomas would say that actually God in his free will just chose to do this after the fall, that the incarnation was a provision and they would, the, you know, the Scotus would say, no, uh, this was always planned. So there's always been debates about this, and he really set these debates up. Because if all things are, were always meant to be in Christ, then he was always meant to be um, incarnated. And this is, we read this, we find this stuff in um, Revelation thirteen eight: All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, speaking of the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before the world was, there's this idea that the incarnation already already was, because um, obviously he can't be uh, slain as a lamb if he's not incarnated. But it says in Romans sixteen twenty five through 27, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So since the world began the church age was always going to happen, but now is made manifest. So from creation, there was already the idea of the incarnation, but it wasn't made manifest yet. And so this idea that both creation and the incarnation are two acts of the same process. And he's the first person to put out this idea of a theodrama, that there is an actual story that you, you can't separate scripture. He, he united both the Old and the New Testament in this way and said they were absolutely inseparable. Uh, remember, this is before there was an established canon. You know, there wasn't... Um, Marcion had not come on the scene yet, so he didn't have an established canon. He used almost the whole of the New Testament in his works uh, as a way to justify his ideas, and so he used Scripture from all over the place and used the New Testament as if they were just as... Um, inspired as the Old Testament. He's one of the first church fathers to do that. And he united everything. And And that speaks to issues today as well as people who are saying that we should unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament or people who want to um, separate some of the letters of the church from some of the things that Christ said. He says that they're all one and that they can never be separated. And uh, that was one of the things that he was really against The Gnostics were doing, they were separating parts of Scripture to come up with their own interpretations of it. And he was saying, no, you can't do that. You have to keep everything together as it is, as it's written. And you will see that there is actually a story that begins at creation and goes all the way to the end. And that Christ is both the beginning and the end. And that's the other major idea that he had. Jesus Christ declares himself to be the beginning. In Revelation, he says, I am the beginning and the end. If you read Revelation 1, uh, 1 through through 12, you'll see that the whole thing is about him declaring himself to be the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And then, of course, in Colossians 1, 18 and 19, Paul calls him the beginning. And this started the ideas um, of... The, there being the ideas of multiple beginnings, and this still goes on today. Now it started with this the idea of the originus myth with the Hanad and there being a spiritual existence of things, and then because they fell in some way, then they became the material um, creation through judgment and that there were pre-existent souls, and they fell away, and then they became what man was. Um, That was declared as heresy. But he took these ideas from the idea that if Christ is the beginning, then we don't really know when the beginning of time was. And we see the same thing happening with um, people who hold to the gap theory, Uh, the idea that there was a pre-Adamic race, because there's a beginning, and then there's a fall of the angels, and then... Uh, after God deals with that in some way or sets up how things are supposed to be, then there's the seven days of creation and the and the beginning of man. And even in John 8, when Christ is speaking about Satan being um, a murderer from the beginning, we know Satan was not created as a murderer, as something evil. He became evil. Uh he fell, if you you know, if you read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, and you accept those as, as the beginnings of Satan, he was perfect until pride was found in his heart. So he then fell and separated himself from God and therefore was a murderer. So the beginning that Christ is talking about is obviously not the beginning of time or the beginning of Satan's um, fall, because he fell after that. So he was a murderer from a different beginning. And then, of course, there's John 1, 1, which is, in the beginning God... Uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there's some people who would say that that's a beginning that has no beginnings, a sort of eternal notion, which is what a lot of people uh, started to use. So he affected that <laughs> significantly. Um, so he he is really important in uh, our theological debates and the way that we view uh, theology. He's one of the first church fathers to read um Revelation as saying that there is a literal 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. Um, that was rejected by a lot of church fathers, and especially after Augustine. Almost nobody, you know, there's people like Joachim of Fiore and people like that, but more or less no one after Augustine, because Augustine said that we can't take Revelation as literal. So that's obviously affected the evangelical world, because people who are in the evangelical world and uh, Southern Baptists uh, take the book of Revelation, as being something that's literal, that's going to happen. It's a prophetic book. So he really um, has affected, whether we know it or not, he's really affected the ideas of how we view Scripture, how it should be a unit. He In chapter 1, if you read chapter, or book 1, chapters sort of 8 through 10 or so, he talks about this unity of the faith and the Scriptures being a picture of a king, and that what the Gnostics were doing were trying to take apart the picture and then make it into something else, and then show people and say, "This is really what a king looks like," when in reality he was saying, "The king looks like what the scriptures already are. We already have what the picture of the king is." And so the idea of the unity of the scriptures, which I think is very important, and we need to make sure we keep today. So all of these things uh, were brought up by Irenaeus, and it all has a, has an. It's based upon this idea of recapitulation. That's really his main. Um, doctrine, that everything will be in Christ. Now for me personally um, I don't know how to take what the actual doctrine can mean in and of itself. What does it mean that we're all supposed to be in Christ or that there's a fullness of times that heaven and earth is supposed to be um, placed forward and uh, and that everything's supposed to be in him. Now some, like Origen, uh, Gregory of Nyssa too, kind of speculated the idea that there is a sort of universalism that everybody end, will end up saved in the end because everything's supposed to be in Christ. Um, he even specs origin speculated that even Satan would be back in Christ. Um, this is just not what the Bible says, um, but it does say, as I've read in Ephesians one ten, that everything in heaven and earth is supposed to be in Christ. Now I, I take that as being the saved, but what that completely means in you know from a spiritual perspective i don't know the way that i use the doctrine of recapitulation is i use it as a hermeneutic when i read the scriptures and particularly the book of revelation that everything being in christ him being the beginning and the end is a way that you can study and read the book of revelation as it's as things are being recapitulated back to christ we see the book of revelation written in a backward sense so from genesis to the church age, we have a revelation of God from creation to incarnation, but from revelation to the end, from chapters 1 to chapter 22, we start with the incarnation, and it recapitulates back to creation. We see a new heaven, a new earth by the end of chapters 21 and 22. So I use it as a hermeneutic. I don't know how, you know, and I, I definitely believe in the unity of Scripture. I don't describe it through the ideas of, of the doctrine of recapitulation. Um, but everything is supposed to be in Christ. We are in that fullness of times. He has manifested himself through his Son, and uh, I think that he was just really ahead of his time. He was an amazing amazing theologian, and um, if you have a chance, he wrote this book here against uh, heresies, if you have a chance to read it. Uh, There's five books. It's kind of long, but it's not too bad, and he also wrote a book... um, on the apostolic teaching, which is also very informative about the early church and what they thought about some of the early doctrines. Um, So he's very good for um, historical knowledge about the early church, and also the way um, that we can study. Uh, And he came up with something, you know, he expressed something that's in the Bible that people have been able to speculate on for, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries. All sorts of ideas have come up from this idea of recapitulation, how he read the Bible, his, uh, his exegesis, and, and seeing Revelation as more of a literal prophetic book, which most of the church fathers didn't, which that put him way ahead of his time, considering the way that, say, evangelicals would read the book of Revelation today. So he was just way ahead of his time. He was a very, very interesting man, very spirit-filled man. So if you get a chance to, to read him, I strongly suggest you do it thank you for listening. If you want to support, it's in the description. Hit the like button and the subscribe button. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you next time.